You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Mary L. Trump is President Trump's only niece and a trained clinical psychologist. As COVID-19 continues to surge across the country, local, state, and federal officials are debating how to safely reopen K-12 schools. School districts need funds to implement social distancing measures, and teachers are calling for better testing, contract tracing, and access to personal protective equipment. In this segment, you'll hear from Lily S. Kelson Garcia, the president of the National Education Association. Let's listen. Good afternoon. I'm Eugene Scott, a politics reporter for The Fix at The Washington Post. And welcome to Washington Post Live. Right now with us, we have uh, Lily Garcia. She is the president of the National Educators Association, the largest teachers union in the country. And Ms. Garcia right now is pretty outraged at how the Trump administration is responding uh, to schools and education and the challenges that they are facing related to the coronavirus pandemic. As you may know, the administration has insisted that schools reopen with in-class instruction this fall. Uh, Her comments come as National Educator Association individuals have released their own guidelines on what they think should happen before students, teachers, and staff walk back into school. So today we'll go over all of these topics as well as how schools are going to have to pay for all of the changes they will have to continue to make to keep everyone safe. Please welcome Lily Garcia. How are you today? Good, we're so glad to have you. So glad to have you. And uh, I know you have a lot of thoughts and certainly want to hear some of them. And, and let's just start with, with this. If, if Congress does not enact uh, 1.9 million educators uh, will be forced uh, to continue to begin the school year as if nothing uh, has changed, as if things are normal. Um, and, and I would like to hear your initial responses to that. What, what do you think should happen? We all left our school buildings in in March as if uh, someone pulled the fire alarm in, you know, 100,000 schools all over the country and everyone grabbed what they could off their desk and headed out the door. Why? Because we're in a pandemic, because they said the worst place you could be is in a closed, poorly ventilated place where people are packed inside, breathing on each other. And we have this stop contaminating each other. That's that's the best we've got until we have a vaccine. So we all left. Uh, families around the country have sacrificed. Uh, educators have sacrificed. Many have lost their jobs uh, because they couldn't do what they do virtually. Um, and now uh, from, from the day we left our school buildings, we've been planning on what we would have to do to get back to school safely. Uh, We were looking at all the advice that uh, the Centers for Disease Control, the infectious disease experts were saying about opening a restaurant safely. You're gonna have to distance. You can open, but at 50% capacity, Uh, you need masks, you need disinfectants. Uh, You're gonna have to ventilate these places better. Maybe move the chairs outside. All of those things, and we were waiting and waiting. All right, so what's the advice for us so we can start planning for what we're going to have to buy, what we're going to have to do? Um, And finally, we got CDC advice, and it's very, very similar uh, to opening any closed space. But what I think really surprised us is 
Donald Trump, who hasn't said two words about public schools in the last three and a half years, all of a sudden, very cavalierly, while we were trying to say, how are we going to distance kids? How are we are we going to do a hybrid some at home uh, half day every other day? Uh, which kids would we prioritize coming into the school if we can't fit all the kids into the school safely? We were carefully working with school boards, health uh, inspectors, parents of special ed children, all of the all of the needs we have to meet, and the president of the United States waves his hand and commands us, you will go back into those schools all day, all kids, all the time, next to each other, shoulder to shoulder. I had 39 sixth graders in a class one year. That was not healthy before a pandemic. And we may or may not give you what you need to uh, disinfect and mask. So Betsy DeVos and Donald Trump, without a plan, just saying, just do it, uh, has has truly outraged parents and educators and, and people who love their neighbor's kids. Uh, it's outrageous. I imagine you've been in conversations uh, with lawmakers on both sides of the aisle about what you would like to see happen um, before schools reopen. What have some of those conversations and negotiations uh, revealed? You know, I am a really super good sixth grade teacher. I am not an infectious disease specialist. And so uh, I know what I know and I know what I don't know. I rely on the experts, the Dr. Fauci of the world, to tell us what we need to do to be safe. So again, we were very concerned when the CDC uh, 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 published their guidelines. And what we heard from Donald Trump was, well, that's going to cost a lot of money buy disinfectants and masks, wait a minute, we don't want to pay for something. So uh, pretty much told them to go back and do their homework again. And what we got in the reissued guidelines, uh, yeah, they wrapped around, it's important for kids to be back in school. Yes, we know that. That's what we're trying to do. Nobody wants their kids back more than their teachers, uh, except maybe their parents. We want to do it safely. That's our word, safely. Um, and what they did was they said, okay, they took out the language that said children uh, with health issues are more at risk. They took that out and put in maybe more at risk. So they watered some of it down. There's still not a lot about the risk of teachers and support staff uh, in opening schools. That's disturbing. It makes us feel like we're expendable or maybe intentionally being punished. But what I want the public to know is the science was still intact. He didn't get the scientists to actually reverse on the fact that baseline before any school should open. And it's the same thing that the Republican National Convention had to look at when they decided to cancel their in-person convention plans in Florida. You have to look at the infection rate in your community. Is it under control? Has it been steadily declining so that you've got it under control? Once you're in a community like that, and there are some, not a lot, but there are some communities that have been steadily in decline, then you have to have a plan to distance your kids so they're not in there crammed shoulder to shoulder coughing on each other. 
You've got to have the mask, the disinfectants, the sanitizing stations. You've got to have daily health screenings and you have to have access to COVID testing so you can see who might be infected. And most important, and this is the kicker, you don't get to pick and choose, I'll do this one, but not that one. You have to do them all or you put lives at risk. That's mm. what we're, at. if you do it wrong, your school becomes your community super spreader. You become a germ factory and you will spike just like when they opened those bars and everyone jammed into the bars and went home and infected their families. We're not going to have that happen in a public school. So it seems like whether or not a school is safe enough to return to varies based off of what is happening in a particular community. Exactly. And that's what uh, that's what the scientists and the doctors have said when when Donald Trump threw out, you know, well, look at Denmark and Australia and, and Germany and Norway. They all opened their school. Yeah, they opened their schools based on these guidelines. And the very first thing they did is they took the pandemic seriously. They actually said um, uh, it's we have to get this infection rate under control. And they, they had a national plan. It wasn't a city here or a state there. It was a national plan. We still don't have a national plan. And look at where it's led to. So if those countries did it and did it successfully, it's because they did the exact opposite of what this administration has done. Now, we know that the NEA uh, released its own guidelines on the reopening of schools, and I believe your guidance is based on four principles, uh, health expertise, uh, educator voice, access to protection uh, like PPE, and uh, leading with equity. So can you explain a bit about what those four principles mean for students and their parents? Let me start with the first one because it's so important that we lead with equity. One of the things that we've been saying for years and years and years is that the way that we have uh, um, funded um, and resourced our public school system is really based on your zip code, what those kids have access to. So if you're in a very wealthy community, you probably have lots of programs and a librarian, a lot of counselors and a school nurse. In some schools, that's like finding a unicorn. Uh, you don't have those things. You've got the bare necessities and maybe you've got the oldest school building um, that's uh, got poor ventilation in it. So as kids left those buildings that we knew were not equal, we also now know their homes don't have access to what they need to distance learn. For some kids, mom and dad are able to work from a laptop at home. They've got those kinds of jobs. Uh, they've got an extra iPad. Uh, they've got Wi-Fi in their home. It's annoying uh, and inconvenient. But for some kids, it's impossible because mom and dad uh, work in the service industry. And sometimes they're gone before those kids wake up in the morning. Uh, they don't, they're, they're, uh, uh, they're, they've got like maybe a, a cell phone, a, a smartphone, and that's the technology they've got and they have to take it with them to work. So we have kids we couldn't even call on the phone. And so one of the things we asked as Congress is moving through these, um, these support uh, bills is we said, very likely, many schools 
especially in our poorest communities. Our poorest communities are still, unfortunately, our high minority, black and brown communities, immigrant communities. And these kids need something at home. And we asked for billions of dollars in the in the um, E-rate uh, bill to help pay for hotspots and tablets for these kids because we might have to hybrid or virtual learn a little bit longer while we're waiting for the infection rate to come down. And that's leading with equity, saying who gets it first is the one who needs it the most, the ones that won't have any uh, plan B at home if they don't get it from their public schools. So that's the first thing that we're asking for, is that our kids who live in the most challenged communities and the most challenged situations will be seen as our priority. So uh, as you have uh, articulated, many educators are so disappointed with how the administration is handling this situation, the educating of our uh, youth amid this pandemic. And some unions have suggested that they will be striking, that they will not be participating in uh, the school year in a traditional sense. And I'm really interested in hearing uh, what the NEA's response to that is. Disappointed doesn't uh, begin to cover uh, how alarmed we are. And let me tell you, job one for us is that whole blessed child. Uh, there have been some people who have suggested, but look at, you know, they're losing academic time. Yeah, we know we're in an emergency. It's a pandemic. We know, and we are worried about our kids. There are other folks who have said, um, what about their social emotional needs? They need to be in that school with their friends. They're they're uh, they're feeling um, they're feeling the stress and the trauma, and we understand that too. We're all feeling the stress and the trauma of this this bizarre world we're living in right now. And then there is their physical health. Anyone that suggests that we have to pick and choose, or we have to trade off their academic learning, and yes, yeah, some might die but you know no that is not that's a false choice it is the whole child and as donald trump has mentioned other countries have done this without ever asking this question you uh, and and you're a very good reporter i absolutely uh, believe that i have been asked by very good reporters that very same question you know, like, shouldn't we weigh off these other things? And if we have to sacrifice some of their health or sacrifice their teachers or sacrifice their families, they may go home and infect. No one who did this successfully asked that question because from the very beginning, there was a plan to do it safely where it was appropriate, when it was appropriate, with all of the um, all of the supplies uh, and, and things you needed to make it happen. That's what we're asking. And when anyone says uh, the word strike, um, we're talking about opening schools when it's safe. And I think the first people you need to ask are the parents. Are parents willing to sacrifice their children so that Donald Trump can get his jobs numbers up? Because he's made it very clear, opening those schools 
on a hybrid every other day doesn't work for him because what he wants is all the kids out of the house. Why? So mom and dad can go back to work so that he can look better in an economic report. We believe that even that will fail and that you don't sacrifice one child. You don't sacrifice one teacher. You don't sacrifice their families for something like that. It will backfire eventually. Anyway, look what happened when we opened the bars because we didn't have a plan. We're not going to sacrifice our children and we're not going to sacrifice our communities. We're going to do this right. So, so speaking about the different challenges that different kids face, we've got an audience question from Scott Samanchin from New Mexico. He asks, how can we ensure that children with special needs don't get left behind through remote learning? Oh, that is an excellent question. And again, um, some of the places that are already in the middle of all these plannings, we were not waiting for Betsy DeVos to come up with a plan for us. That was not going to be, that was not going to end well uh, under any circumstances. So in thousands and thousands of school districts across the country right now, um, the districts that are putting together the best plans are the ones that are including the stakeholders that have the most at stake. And so they've got the school nurse, they've got the special ed parent, they've got uh, the county health uh, professional, they've got them all sitting down saying, um, and let's take this example, uh, here is a child with special needs. Some of them are cognitive needs, some of them are children who are medically fragile. They're the last ones you would want to stuff in an overcrowded classroom. But you can't ignore the fact that they had very special um, trained uh, professionals working with these kids that the parents may not be able to replicate or even uh, attempt to replicate back in the classroom. So as we look at who will be at a priority of coming back, um, before you open up the, the school to everyone, you might be looking at saying, again, leading with equity, who are the kids that need us the most? And how can we arrange uh, this physical uh, classroom to protect the health of these students and their teachers and their uh, paraprofessional and the school nurse or the kids or the, the adults that will need to be in that school? first to deal with our most vulnerable children. There is no one size fits all. It may look very, very different in a small rural school than in an inner city school or in a suburban school. Uh, some of our schools we know had a lot of resources before the pandemic and they're starting at a higher level of maybe a, a more modern building, maybe more technology in the building and some schools that started with very, very little, and now they have even less. So what we're saying is you look at the kids who need us the most and you plan for them specifically. If it is not safe for those children to come back into the school building, then that's a non-starter for us. We don't say mm, we gotta do it anyway, even if it's not safe, no. We will um, meet those children's needs where they are, and we have to plan around them, starting with these children who need us the most first. 
Awesome. And lastly, uh, we just have one more question. How, how can you work with parents uh, to ensure that they're following social distancing guidelines at home uh, when some parents just don't necessarily believe the science or support uh, the news that's coming out telling them how to be safe? Well, and of course, our parents uh, have very diverse opinions about what's going on as well. Um, we believe that you have to uh, you have to tend to the medical science that we're dealing with. That that is that's the basis basic for us. That's the foundation before you open that school. And in the CDC guidelines, that's another thing they watered down. Is they basically uh, originally said. Um, that there had to be the regular health screenings, there should be testing, there should be uh, ways of telling uh, if kids have a fever, a cough, uh, or the adults uh, as well, um, and that we should have uh, COVID testing available to us in the same way that uh, emergency medical folks in a hospital uh, go to the front of the line to make sure that their health is good as they go into um, a situation where they're dealing with uh, folks who are desperately ill. And by the way, not just COVID folks, folks who got hurt in a car accident. Uh, they are dealing um, 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 with uh, life and death situations. We will be dealing with uh, this country's uh, most precious resource, uh, students. And so uh, they watered down the um, CDC requirements. They took off the there need to be uh, health tests at the school and said, no, 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 the parents should do that at home. And we should just trust that it's being done. And it may be done very, very well by some parents. And as I said, some parents are off to work before their kids get up in the morning. We know parents that don't own a thermometer. And uh, it, it, it's so important that we do these health screenings. Um, and there was absolutely nothing in the guidelines about having COVID tests um, and having those COVID tests come back in a timely manner. If there's one case in a school we might need to close that school down again like that. We don't want to be in that position. We want to do it right. We want to protect the health of the big people and the little people in that school community. By that way, that means that we protect the health of the families they go home to, and those families go to work. We don't want to become the super spreader in a community and end up with a spike and having everything closed down because we did it in a sloppy way, because we weren't intentional about how we do it. And that's why this is so important that we do it right the first time. Well, thank you so much uh, for talking with us, uh, Ms. Garcia, and sharing your thoughts. And uh, we will continue to keep our eyes on what is happening on this issue, with this issue from uh, your organization and the administration, and keep our readers posted uh, and informed of what's going on. Thanks. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.